Today's message originated in the pulpit of Covenant Community Church by lead pastor Alan Ellis. Covenant Community Church lives to glorify Christ by making disciples who are growing in relationship with God in worship, then with the church in fellowship, and with the world in witness. Now, here's today's message. I want to introduce you to a principle that we really haven't seen. It's one of the one of the guiding principles in understanding the message of the book of Job, and that is Job's use of legal metaphors. We'll, we'll see that Job, if Job lived in our day, we would call him a lawyer. And we'll see this from the text. But there was an interesting statement as I began to read about the book of Job, to try to familiarize myself with the book of Job. And of course, it takes a long time to own the book, uh, any book of the Bible. It, it took me 20 or 30 years to own, and still I don't own it in the way that I should own the book of Romans. If you're going to focus your attention on any book of the Bible, you're going to have to keep at it. And it may become, uh, if God is gracious to you, it may become a lifelong pursuit for you. And so as I tried to familiarize myself with the book of Job, Uh, I read this statement by Thomas Robinson. He said that Job is to the Old Testament. And I mentioned this before. Job is to the Old Testament what the epistle to the Romans is to the new. Read that with me, would you? Job is to the Old Testament what the epistle to the Romans is to the new. Now, I, I never got even close to thinking that about the book of Job. I I saw the two books fundamentally different, that Romans, of course, is a didactic or teaching book, and it's full of doctrine and theology. Job, to me, was a story about a guy who had a great life, lost it all, God restored it to him, and there's a lot of stuff in between that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Most people who say, I, not everyone, but most people who say, I love the book of Job, it tells me now that they haven't really read the book of Job. Because when you read the book of Job, you'll find that there's not a lot to love. Uh, If you're just, as we've said, if you're just going to eat the bread off the sandwich, if you're just going to start with the prologue and end with, and they lived happily ever after, which comprises about less than three chapters of 42 chapters of the book of Job, And never venture into, as I said before, into the deep water of the conversation that Job had with his friends and and with God. um, Then you might say, yeah, I love the book of Job. Who doesn't love a story where, you know, um, the, the princess, who was it, turned into a frog and then she turned back into a princess and they lived happily ever after? Who Who doesn't love that story? A story with a good ending. In fact, there are critics of the book of Job who say that the, the, the book of Job was originally intended to be read without the pretty ending. Without, and, and God decided, well, to prove that, yeah, that, that Satan was right, that does a man serve God for not? So, Job, you've suffered for me, so I'm going to add another 140 years to your life and give you your children back. See, when you begin to think about it, you say, well, it sounds like God acted in a way that Job's comforters were criticizing. 
So I, I, I saw no similarity then between the book of Job and the book of Romans. And so when I read, read this statement that uh, the book of Job is to the Old Testament, it's kind of an equation. The book of Job is as to the Old Testament equals Romans as to the New Testament. It made me begin to think about this. And the reason why uh, Thomas Robinson uh, made this statement is that both books teach the same principle. And the principle is that a man, a man is not saved or justified. That's, again, a forensic legal term. A man is not accounted not guilty, justified, by what he does, but by his faith that he places in the grace and mercy of a sovereign God. That's why we've read this passage from the book of Galatians, Galatians and Romans, both written by the Apostle Paul. Um, Galatians is like, compared to Romans, same subject, but Galatians is like a short telegram, whereas Romans is a longer uh, exposition of the, of the same doctrine, that we're not, as we read together from the book of Galatians, we're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved by our faith that we place in Jesus Christ's finished work. Now, is that the message of Job? I think that is the message of Job. That here's a man who God puts to a test. Job doesn't know that God is putting him to a test. He just knows that his life has taken a horrible turn. And Job, throughout the conversation with his friends and with God, is protesting his innocence. He said, I'm not a perfect man in that sense that I am absolutely forensically sinless. Job knew he was a sinner, but he said, surely in my own self-examination, I have not done anything to deserve this kind of punishment from God's hand. And so he makes the mistake then, if we want to look at it this conventionally or traditionally, He makes the mistake of trusting in what he has done and not trusting in what God can do for him. And that essentially is the message of the book of Romans and the book of Galatians is that if we are going to trust in our own righteousness, our own self-righteousness, we are going to be sorely disappointed. But God demands now that he sent his son Jesus Christ, Jesus answers Job, God demands that we abandon our own efforts at self-rehabilitation and throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, what I so sorely need to be done in my own life, I cannot do it. And so I'm going to place my faith and trust in you that you have the ability not only to save me, but to transform my life and make me the person that would be pleasing to you. So with this thought in mind then, here it is, here's the equation then. Job is as Job over, over, it's like a mathematical equation. Job is as to the Old Testament, put the equal sign there, as Romans is to the New Testament. With that in mind then, I want, you, want to introduce to you what is a, a, a strong theme in the book of Job um, a legal metaphor. 
Gregory Parsons says, the book of Job extensively employs legal terms and metaphors in the process of its dialogue concerning the disputed innocence of Job before God. That the dialogue is saturated with judicial terminology is quite consistent with the prominent role Job had previously played in the legal affairs of his town. Now we're going to look at this. If you turn to the 29th chapter of the book of Job, again, this is Job speaking. And when I said that if Job was alive today, we would look at him and call him a lawyer. Here's the passage that that is based on. So Paul makes some conclusions, some forensic conclusions uh, in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians. And he uses the same idea that God, if you went to stand before God as your judge, if God was judging the merit of your life, uh, Paul says, if we want to get te- technical about it, in a court of law, you're going to lose that case because, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel says, in that case, you need an advocate. You need a lawyer. You need an arbiter. You need someone to come into the courtroom and present your case before the judge The judge is looking for a perfect track record. How many know if you're in the courtroom, nobody, (laughs) if you're in trouble, nobody has a perfect track record. And so you hire an advocate to plead your case before the judge. And the good news of the gospel is, is what, what we celebrate, we'll celebrate, Lord willing, next Sunday, is that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is our barrister. He is the one who stands before the Father and pleads the case. He says, this man, yes, this woman, they are imperfect, but because they have confessed their faith in my finished work, they are not guilty. Being not declared not guilty is not the same thing as being declared innocent. The judge makes a declaration at the end of the trial, either guilty or not guilty. And there are a lot of people who've been guilty of the crime, who've been declared by the judge not guilty. And guess what? They can't be tried again. So look at this passage with me. We we wonder why then, why this theme, this legal metaphor is strong in the book of Job. And I'm, I'm assuming that um, you're trying to read some of the book of Job. If, if you're not, I would recommend it. Look, uh, here Job is again, uh, he's commiserating. He's remembering what his life was like. Look, look at, here is language. Verse 7, 29, 7. When I went out to the gate of the city. Now, we, we don't understand that, but remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, um, that there was a man by the name of Lot who was, uh, in that day, the city government would sit at the gate. So if, uh, if your city had a, a wall that delineated where the city began, where the city ended, then the main entranceway to that city, the people who were the foremost citizens of the town sometimes 
we would refer to those people, we have a whole book in the Bible called Judges. They would gather daily at the city gate and people who had a complaint or an issue, my neighbor stole my cow, uh, my neighbor, I lent him 10 shekels of silver, he hasn't paid it back to me. They would take that issue to the city gate and These very wise men who were well-respected in their community would hear the case and make a judgment and offer their advice. It's really the beginnings of what we enjoy today in, in the free world of our legal system. Both sides have an opportunity to fully air their side of the story. So this is what Job means when he talks about the gate of the city. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood. Those were both actions of respect. The young people respected him. The old people respected him because of his wisdom. He says in verse 9, the princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, in other words, when Job spoke, when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw what I was doing, it approved, because, he says in verse 12, I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Here, no doubt, it's kind of like going to small claims court. A person who has no resources, you go and you plead your case before the judge. He says in verse 14, I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Verse 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. So Job here is saying, in my old life, normal, whatever that was, hard to remember it now, the people respected me because I was a judge who delivered justice. Now that sets up then our understanding in the book of Job when we understand that Job then uh, occupied this position of honor in the land of Uz, wherever that is, then uh, we can go back to, through the whole book of Job and begin to look for legal terminology because guess what? Doctors talk like doctors, lawyers talk like lawyers, dentists talk like dentists, preachers talk like preachers. And so we can see consistently in the book of Job that Job employs this legal metaphor when he is talking about defending his case before God Almighty. So Parsons goes on to say, perhaps the most significant single legal term used is the root, we would translate it as contend, contend. Seven times it's used as a verb, and we won't take the time to look at this, but 
and 9, 3, 10, 2, 13, 19, 23, 6, 33, 13, and 40, verse 2. It's translated in the ESV as contend. So when you go to court, what is happening there? I had to testify in a court case a few weeks ago. A friend of mine was suing a medical doctor who he felt uh, didn't take uh, the greatest care with his mother. His mother got sick and passed away. So you have two lawyers who stand up before a judge, and they are what? They are contending with each other. And as I sat there, of course, I, I am predisposed to my friend's side way of looking at the case. Um, but you would almost think when the, defend, uh, the, the defendant's lawyer, the doctor's lawyer got up and talked about the case, he made it sound like it was a whole other thing going on. So uh, the well-worn out phrase is that when you're uh, a prosecuting attorney, you get in the closet before you go out in the courtroom and you go guilty, 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 guilty. It is your job to make the case that that person that you're prosecuting is guilty. And uh, the defendant's lawyer gets in the closet and says, the innocent, 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 innocent. I'm going to do my job to make this person look as though uh, they never committed what they're being accused of. And if you're sitting in the courtroom, you'll say like, wow, those guys are good. Because I don't know how you can take the same facts that are presented before a journey and one guy can say this is the conclusion you should reach and the other guy can say no this is the conclusion that you should reach but that's what it means to condemn contend in 138 the verb is trans uh the translated plead so sometimes in in the court of law you'll and uh lawyers will enter a pleading it's also used as a noun. So, so the verb contend means to make a complaint or accusation by engaging in hostile unilateral speech activity against an, an aggrieving party. That, they're fighting it out. They're duking it out before the judge. Four times it's used as a noun, and it's translated variously in the English Standard Version, as argument or pleadings or cause or complaint, even one time, Job 31, 35, if you look there with me, if you just turn over, if you're still in 29, if you turn to Job 31 and verse 35, here again is Job speaking. Job chapter 31 is where Job makes his final plea. He says in verse 35, Oh, that I had one to hear me. He wants a hearing. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. In other words, Job says, God is accusing me, apparently. Uh, God, who was my friend. Apparently I've done something to displease him. What, what is, what are you contending with me about God? And Job is saying here, I would like you, God, to write down in a legal document an indictment so that I can know exact, I can read exactly what it is that you have against me. 
Parsons goes on to say, although the word contend in the Old Testament sometimes describes a dispute outside court, it is used in Job solely in a legal sense as a metaphor to portray a lawsuit between Job and God. Now, this is the drama of the book of Job. The drama of the book of Job is that, as Parson goes on to say, Job wants to haul God into court. And this has such a rich history of interpretation. The Jewish community, after the Holocaust or the Shoah, um, the mass extermination of six million Jews in Central Europe. Um, there, is, there even is a movie that was made about Jews in, uh, Jews in, in a concentration camp who put God on trial. And God was found to be guilty for abandoning his covenant people. Now Parsons says this, This idea of a man going to court with God is unprecedented in the Old Testament. Now, think about this. I I said something to Andrew the other day. I guess we were at uh, Drew. This is Andrew. I said something to Drew. Drew is Andrew's father, where that's the distinction we're making now. I said something to Drew Drew about that, that I was doing Lent on the book of Job. And he says, oh, isn't that about that guy who, yeah, he suffered, he had everything, and then he lost it all. And, and, and then Drew says to me, my son says to me something interesting. He says, isn't, wasn't that kind of God's fault? And I, I knew where he was going there because this is what Job is saying. And Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they, they can't, they can't, they can't uh, contemplate that at all. Their, their idea, their wisdom says to me, look, good people, God blesses. Bad people, God curses. You're under a curse, ergo sum, therefore you are a wicked person. Job says, I'm not a wicked person. I don't know what God has against me. I wish he would write it out, make it plain, write out the indictment, set it down to me, say, have God say to me, I would like to get him in court, in fact in an impartial setting, and say, what's up, God? Why why have, as he says in the 16th chapter of Job, why have you allowed my family to be devastated? My life turned upside down. What, What have I done? What are you accusing me? Oh, that I had an intercessor, an arbiter, an advocate, a lawyer, a redeemer somewhere who would stand in my shoes and and make my case for me. So when Drew said that, was that kind of God's fault? So I said to him, I said, you know, I I don't know much about, about the law. But I think that if I was a defendant going into the courtroom and the first thing out of my mouth that I would say to the judge is, Your Honor, It's your fault. It's probably not going to go well. You know, the reason why I'm a mass murderer is because my mother didn't let me push the oatmeal off my high chair when I was two years old. That is not a good defense. But a worse defense is to go into the courtroom and say, look, if it, (laughs) I remember one time sitting down, 
at the federal building uh, sitting there, and there was a man sitting next to me, a young black man, and on the wall was emblazoned this eagle, you know, the eagle of the United States with the, with the arrows in its claws, e pluribus unum type thing, and it says, the government of the United States of America. And he, like he was talking to me, but he wasn't. It was just a stream of consciousness. He said, he read that and he said, he was there with his significant other and, and a child. And he, and he probably was in trouble. And he read that, the United, the government of the United States of America. And he said, like nobody was listening. I have committed a crime against the government of the United States. And it's like, yeah, now you understand what kind of deep trouble you're in. It's not a good defense to go into the courtroom and say, look, everybody in this courtroom is crooked. The judge is taking bribes. The prosecuting attorney, attorney, it's kind of like going to Ferguson with a parking ticket. You know, what a sweet deal that was. Policeman stops you, writes you out a ticket for going three miles over the posted speed limit. All right, all right, I broke the law. All right, technically, right. How many of you set your, when you set your uh, speed control on your car, you set it for seven miles over? Larry Smith told me that one once. He said, everywhere I go, if I'm traveling somewhere, I set it for seven miles over. And I'm like, wow, that's, it's like, because seven miles, you know, that's kind of, but how many know you, if it's a 45 mile per hour speed limit and you're doing 36, how many know they can give you a ticket? Sure, they can give you a ticket. Are you breaking the law? I, that wasn't a, that wasn't a very good affirmation there. Are, are you breaking the law? Sure. Sure, you're breaking the law. The crazy thing about it now is if you, if you live in North County, people are like, that's a stop sign. That means you don't have to come to a full stop. Just roll on through. Because the policemen are like, you know what? We want to go home at the end of the day too. But the, the thing in Ferguson was so sweet. So the same, the same office that was writing you a ticket was the same office that hired the judge to collect your penalty. And so when the city clerk said we need more money, the city clerk sent out emails to everybody. Well, that's a sweet deal. In upstate New York, my family, my dad, you know, we used to go to upstate uh, outside of Albany every, every summer for uh, camp in the Berkshires. What well, was the almost Berkshires? Uh, it wasn't the Jewish Berkshires. It was kind of the Gentile Berkshires. And my dad would caution me when, we, when my sister and I first started driving up there 150 miles from our home. He would say, now, when you go through these little towns, you make sure you do the speed limit. And these, they were so tricky because you'd be going along at 40, 45 miles an hour and then speed limit ahead, 15. Well, that town wasn't any bigger from where I'm standing to that back wall. And it was easy just to miss the town. 
but they knew they were there. And if you went through their town and you broke their law, the officer would say, would take your license and he would say, I want you to follow me. Didn't matter what time of the day or night. If it was in the middle of the night, they would go to the justice of the peace house and the officer would bang on the door and get the judge out of bed. And the judge would come down in his nightgown and he would wrap the gavel and you were having court and the judge would say, well, I'm going to assess you at a hundred bucks and pay up or go to jail. Most people did what? They paid up. Did you, you read about what's going on out there in Foley, right? Because tax revenues are down, so we'll write out more tickets. We'll, we'll generate the finances that we need to run as a community. Job senses this a little bit. He senses that he is in a courtroom where the judge and the prosecuting eternity, eternity, <laughs> the prosecuting attorney are in cahoots with each other. And he says this, you can protest all you want. You can protest a thousand times. You can contend with the Almighty if you want. But who's going to win that case? Now, some of you may be saying, well, that sounds rather blasphemous to me. You know what? You get sick enough. You get in a situation that, that life has turned on you, like we heard in the 16th chapter, Job is saying, it's like God has set his whole army on me. Archers taking pot shots, warriors running at me. Uh, my kidneys and is just being belched out uh, onto the ground. You, you get sick enough and you'll begin having thoughts like this. What, what have I done, God, to deserve this? We're not going to finish this today. But look with me. Just be patient just a few minutes longer. Look with me in Job chapter 9. You'll, you'll get, catch a little flavor of this. Job chapter 9. This is one of the classic verses in the book of Job. And if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, I would recommend you underlining it because this is really the perennial question. This is the age-old question. This is the question that ever since man was created, that man has sought the answer for. This is, this is posed as well as it can be in the Old Testament, but it is only answered in the New Testament. And that's why if we go back to the equation again, Job is as to the Old Testament as Romans is as to the New Testament. The questions that Job poses in the Old Testament are answered by the teaching of Paul in the books of Romans and Galatians in the New Testament. Look at what he says. This is Job talking again. He says, the second half of verse 2, but how can a man be in the right before God? Uh, the King James Version, I think, says, how can a man be justified before God? Again, that has overtones of Paul's use of that legal term in the New Testament. How can a man be right with God? Apparently, Job is saying, with all that has befallen me, the loss of my family, the loss of my wealth, the loss of respect, 
Apparently I've done something to offend God. How can I get back in his good graces again? And look what he says then in verse 3. If one wished to contend, there's the word again, the legal term. If one wished to haul him into court, C.S. Lewis wrote the book, God in the Dock. That's the, God, the dock is the English version for the witness stand. If one was to contend with him, if one was to uh, present him with, with a court order that says you have to, you are ordered to appear before the judge. Here it is. If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He knows. He he has. He senses somehow that the justice is not being meted out. There there is a there is a pretend justice or a guise of justice. He says, you got a one, you go to that kangaroo court, you got a one in a thousand chance of coming out of there. What he says, he, referring to God, is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself, who has hardened, here's the question, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? It's, it's, it's fixed. Courtroom is fixed. Uh, and, and yet Job still persists in pleading his case, saying this is, this is one of the perennial lessons of the book of Job. When we see injustice in the lives of other people, we should speak up. Sometimes Christianity has been criticized, and I think uh, justly so, for kind of saying, que sera, que sera, you know, whatever will be, will be. And particularly Calvinism sometimes um, gets a bad rap or review as, as being passive and whatsoever comes to pass has been foreordained by God. But I want to I say this to us as a church. When we see injustice, no matter who, who it may be happening to, we should speak, we should protest. We should speak up. I remember years and years ago, I was just a kid. Um, we were traveling... In, into New York City in the car, and we pulled up to stoplight, and in the car next to us, I, I, I kid you not, I, I swear, because I counted as many people as I could, there had to be about 16 people in, in this car. There was just like a, a few adults and, and kids, they were just jammed in there everywhere. It was just unbelievable. And my mother began to tell my father, you need to follow that car pull them over, and see what's going on there. My mother could not stand, especially when it came to a child, she could not stand to see a child abused in any way, shape, manner, or form. My father is like, dear God, Eileen, we're just going to church. My mother, she was a traveling one-woman show for justice. She, she would speak. If she was in a restaurant and she saw you speaking to your child, or God forbid that you would admit it, it doesn't happen anymore in public places, but it used to be when I was a kid, parents would, parents would spank their kids in a restaurant. And if, if my mother was there, my mother was up out of her chair over there with her finger in that person's face saying, that's abusive. Now, whether it was abusive or not, I'm not a judge. But please, brothers and sisters in Christ, when, 
it's not the lesson of Job to say, well, just stoically, passively, just bear with it and God will bring you through and eventually you'll live happily ever after. No, Job protested the whole way. He said, this isn't right. You think about what happened to the Jewish people in the Shoah. The the hork, it's unimaginable. And then to think that there are people in our culture who want to say that it, that it was, it, it, it was fabricated, that none of it's true, that six million Jews weren't exterminated by the Nazis. And the only way that you prevent that from happening again is to keep the memory of it alive and say it was wrong then, it is wrong now, it will forever be wrong. I gotta quit. Isn't that a shame just when it's getting good? Okay, let's finish this slide out, then I promise I'll quit. Ricky says, you know, this, this grow to go, they got a, a timer up there that they set on 40 minutes for the preacher. Ricky says, I'm going to set that one Sunday morning. I said, Rick, you can set whatever you want. Bring in a thousand clocks. You ought to know by now, nothing works. But but I, I am trying to learn from this church, you know, because they have a rotation of six preachers. The pastor only speaks every other Sunday because he's confined to a wheelchair, but they all use that 40-minute clock. And this morning, he was really done with his sermon in 20 minutes, so he preached another sermon. And that kind of made me feel better. It was a two-sermon, three, four, five, six-sermon Sunday, maybe. He was talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then he got he was at the end of that sermon, then he got into another sermon about husbands love your wives, and that was really more interesting than the first one. Let, let's finish this slide, all right? And look look at these the just quickly, the rest of these were look look in verse 16. Job says, if I summoned him, he's speaking about God, if I summoned him, again, the legal language, if I summoned him and he answered me. I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. In other words, he says, the, 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 the deck is stacked against me. Look in verse 19 and 20. If it is a contest of strength, here it is. You know, uh, that's one of the injustices that we've seen is that if you have money, uh, you can afford a higher paid legal help, which will get you out of trouble. Whereas if you don't have money, you may have to uh, depend on a public defender. So we say in our nation, well, you know, we, we want just, just liberty and justice for all, right? There shouldn't be any difference. But um, study after study has shown um, that there's a preponderance of poor people who are incarcerated. Listen, this this is so so this is an age-old complaint. Look at look at it again. If it is a contest of strength, in other words, I got the big buck lawyer. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. The, the judge the judge's word is law, Job is saying. If it is a matter of justice, who can again, who can summon him? Who can call him into court? Though I am in the right. Here it is. Job is maintaining. I, I'm not sinless. He's not saying that. What he's saying is what I've done certainly doesn't 
It's not a sliding scale. It's not proportional. What, what God has introduced in my life, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Look at what he says. Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. How many times has uh, Judy Draper, as a lawyer, told me in testifying, you talk too much. You talk too much. In other words, that, that sometimes is a, a lawyer's strategy. Get the person on the stand. They're nervous. They're not used to the setting. And they start talking and saying things. In this particular case, I, I heard a woman on the stand and she, she was nervous. And she wouldn't look the jury in the eye. And she was kind of afraid of the jury. And she started saying all the wrong things. And the lawyer, the lawyer for the, the defendant's lawyer was like, oh, this is good. We're going to keep her on. Just let her, let her talk because she's making my case for me. She's making such a mess of it. That's what Job says. Though I'm in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me. There again, the, the, the legal language, he would prove me perverse. Look in verse 28, Job chapter 9. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you, I know you will not hold me innocent. Job has this feeling that even if he gets God in the court, that it's not going to go his way. Uh, where this is headed, we'll pick up again with it on Easter Day, the Lord willing, is that Jesus Christ is your best defense. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and the proper understanding of that word redeemer has been the source of many, many an article, many, many a book have been, has been written about that. Is Job speaking about that perfect arbitrator? That perfect lawyer who would walk into the courtroom and even though the evidence is overwhelming against him, that that lawyer, that redeemer would present such a case that it would Illicit and not guilty verdict from the judge. And that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're not saved by what we have done, but we are saved by the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood, and that shedding of his blood has become a propitiation or a covering for the sins of the whole world. That is why I'm a believer today. That is why I believe next Sunday when we gather together that we can truly celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is not here. He's not, he's still, he's not in the grave. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And the fact that he is risen from the dead Paul tells us at the end of Romans chapter 4 is in fact the basis for our justification. For more information on Covenant Community Church, visit us online at www.covcomchu.org. That's covcomchu.org. Or give us a call at 314-869-4367. At Covenant Community Church, it's our prayer that the preceding message has served to glorify Christ and further God's work in your life.